Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Motivate, the Motivation and Inspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dahi D, and today's guest is Jordan Peterson, talking about improving your life one small step at a time. I chose this episode because I believe Jordan Peterson covers one of the most essential points in life. It's better to work towards a guilt-free conscience than it is to just be happy. Happiness is momentarily, and I believe it's really fueled by what you're feeling in that moment, meaning it can change on any given day. But having a guilt-free conscience because you've really spent all the time that you could put back into yourself to be a better person, I believe that's the key to life. Not to walk around with a dark cloud over you thinking about what you could have been or what you should be doing, any of that. Just do what you need to do. That's it for me today. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We have real problems, and so life is actually difficult, independent of the of psychological foolishness, let's say. Independent of the obstacles that we put in our own path. It's life already is challenging. Di- it's, already, it's already fatally challenging, right? Life is the ultimate challenge. We will die. Yes, yes. And, so there know, is well. a challenge, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, Uncertainty, no, 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 fear, pain, all those yes, things. Yes, thing, everything that goes along with suffering is a challenge, and it's, it's, it's the full challenge because it takes everything you have. And so part of the reason we disagree is because there are complex problems to solve. And then we also disagree because we're willfully blind and because we're more ignorant than we should be and we're not everything we should be. And we tilt towards malevolence from time to time and we betray each other and ourselves. And so we take a bad lot in many ways and make it worse. Now, not always, obviously, and we don't have to, but mm-hmm. that's sort of the baseline that we're working against. I think people are most disappointed in life when they're disappointed in themselves. You know, they see Absolutely. that they've made things worse than they had to be, even though the baseline can be pre- pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so the book and all my lectures, I suppose, are, are, are put forward in an attempt to take the high-level philosophical abstractions and to make them into something that's actionable. And to take so. the next best action in your mm-hmm. life to mm-hmm. improve your life mm-hmm. so we don't mm-hmm. have to suffer as much. Mm-hmm. Well, and hopefully also so that people around you don't have to either. So one of the things I've been talking to my audiences about is the relationship between responsibility and meaning, which is, what would you say, it's a a constant refrain in the book. It's one of its underlying um, um, messages, let's say, or themes is a better way of thinking about it. Um, You know, if you start with the presumption that there's a baseline of suffering in life and that that can be uh, exaggerated by as a consequence of human failing, as a consequence of malevolence and betrayal and self-betrayal and deceit and all those things that we do to each other and ourselves that we know that aren't good, that amplifies the suffering. That's sort of the baseline against which you have to work. And, and, and it's contemplation of that often that makes people hopeless and depressed and anxious and overwhelmed and yeah. all of that. And, and, and they have the reasons. But you need something to put up against that. And what you put up against that is meaning. Meaning is actually the instinct that helps you guide yourself through that catastrophe. And most of that meaning is to be found in the adoption of responsibility. So if you think, for example, if you think about the people that you admire, well, you think about when you have a clear conscience first, because that's a good thing to aim at, which is something different than happiness, right? Um, A clear conscience is different than happiness. That's better. Yeah. 
That's you're not better. Like guilting yourself, you're not feeling bad about yourself. That's right. You feel yeah. that you've justified Clean. you've justified your existence, yeah. right? And so you're not waking up at three in the morning in a cold sweat, thinking about all the terrible things that you've involved yourself in. Mm. What you, you know, said to someone that you shouldn't have said, mm -hmm. or how you acted, or mm -hmm. lied, or what or opportunity you lost, or or, mm -hmm. or 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 yeah, or or the things that you've that you've let go that you should have capitalized on, mm -hmm. and all of that. And so, if you think about the times when you're at peace with yourself with regards to how you're conducting yourself in the world, it's almost always conditions under which you've adopted responsibility, mm. right? At least the most, the most guilt I think that you can experience perhaps is the sure knowledge that you're not even taking care of yourself so that you're leaving that responsibility to other people because that's pretty pathetic and I, unless you're psychopathic. And you know, and, and you're living a parasitical life, and, mm. and that that characterizes a very small minority of people, and an even smaller minority think that's justifiable. But most of the time, you're in guilt and shame because you're not, you're you're not. Not only are you not taking care of yourself, let's say, so someone else has to, but you're not living up to your full potential. You suffer even more mm -hmm. when you don't take care of yourself or take the best actions or do the work that you know you can do and mm -hmm. you rely on someone else to support you financially, emotionally, mm -hmm. physically, whatever, you know, home, whatever it may be. Yeah, well, because you're not only, you're not only not being what you could be, you're interfering with someone else being what they could be, right? So you're, a, you're, you're not only a void, you're a drain. Right. Jesus, that's a catastrophe. And but we usually don't even know it when, in the, when we're in that situation because mm -hmm. we're in a depressed state or we're... Or we don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. You know, you wake up at three in the morning and you know... And so, and then you think of the people that you, so you admire yourself, or perhaps you can at least live with yourself when you're taking responsibility, at least for yourself. And so that settles your conscience. But then if you look at the people that you spontaneously admire, and so the act of spontaneously admiring someone is the manifestation of the instinct for meaning, right? So this is partly why people are so enamored of sports mm -hmm. figures, because yeah. the sports figures are playing out the drama of attaining the goal of attaining a certain kind of, let's say, psychological and physical perfection in pursuit of the goal. That's the drama. And to spontaneously admire that is to have that instinct for meaning latch onto something that can be used as a model. And then that model should be transcribed into something that's applicable in life. You know, and you really like to see in an athletic performance, you really like to see someone who's extremely disciplined and, and, in, and in shape do something physically remarkable. but. And, and to stretch themselves even beyond their previous exploits because you really like to see a brilliant move in, yes. a, in an athletic match. But you also like to see that person ensconced in a broader moral framework so that not only are they trying to win and disciplining themselves in pursuit of that victory and then stretching themselves so they're continually getting better, but they're doing it in a way that helps develop their whole team and that's mm. good for the sport in general and that reflects well on right. the broader culture. They're a great leader yeah. on their team, they're positive, they're good uh, sportsmen against the competitors, yeah. they're not negative towards the other people, they're lifting them up too. Yeah. Like the ultimate that's right. so that human. They, that's right, so that they can, they can work for their own improvement in a way that simultaneously works for the improvement of their team and, that, and, the, and for the sport and, well, and then to the degree that that spills over into the broader culture so much the better. So that's all being dramatized in, a, in an in a athletic event. And it's really, it's not philosophical, it's concrete, right? It's dramatized in the world, and that's what the games represent. And so, well, it's partly because, well, in some sense, life is a game. It is. It is in that you're always, the, the analogy is that 
in, in life, like in sports, you're, you're, you're setting forth an aim and then arranging your perceptions and your actions in pursuit of that aim. And that you also generally do it while cooperating and competing with other people. Right. So that's also the game-like element as well. All of that's dramatized in athletics. Yeah. That's like philosophy for people who aren't philosophical. And I'm not being smart about that. Yeah. You know? It's like it really is philosophy for people who aren't being philosophical because it's played out. You know? And you can see it too. You can see the spontaneous appreciation for the human spirit manifest itself when you see people rise to their feet spontaneously mm -hmm. in a sports arena when they see someone do something particularly remarkable. See an athlete who's extremely trained stretch themselves beyond what you'd think is a normative human limit and yeah. everyone celebrates that like spontaneously. So it's quite something to, yeah. to behold. What philosophy is, or even theology for that matter, is an abstract model. Like it's laid out in words. Now the problem often is, is it becomes so abstract that people don't know how to bring it back down to, to embodiment. Yeah. Yes. Whereas something like, like the drama of a sports event is sort of midway between philosophy and action, right? Mm. It's, so it's, it's not entirely abstracted because it's not only coded in words. It's acted out. It's visual. You can see mm -hmm. an example of what just happens. Mm -hmm. And you can try to reverse engineer how they mm -hmm. did that. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, exactly. Well, at, le at least you, the fact that you admire the person means that you might start to try to act like them. Now, mm -hmm. it's not easy. And maybe that, would mean, maybe that would mean that you start to discipline yourself with regards to a particular sport. But it might also be that you start to mimic or are at least affected in some way by their, their sportsman-like sportsman behavior, right? Yeah. Which is the ground of a certain kind of ethic. Because if you can play well with others which is sort of the hallmark of a good sport, then that actually means that you're a reasonably sophisticated and civilized person. It's really important to learn to play well with others. There isn't, yeah. that's the ground of ethics. What advice do you have for a young man in his 20s? Make a plan. Look at what you're interested in. Get disciplined about something. Allow for the possibility that you have something important to contribute to the world and that the world would be a lesser place without that contribution. Don't be afraid of taking on responsibility. You're so, it's where you find what sustains you in your life. You can take on too much responsibility. You, you have to be cautious in that regard, but that's a less common problem than not taking on enough. A lot of the things that people regard as traps are actually the means to their life. You know, often young people are afraid of commitment, for example, in the context of a romantic relationship and because they feel that that's going to interfere with their pursuit of something more valuable, but that's just not the case. It's, you're not going to find something more valuable in your life than a committed relationship with someone that you love that sustains itself across time and that in all likelihood produces children. That's life. And there may be people for whom avoiding that is the better route, but those people are very rare and you need a real reason to assume that you're one of those people. And hopefully for you, you're not. Um, you know, I've had a very good career, a very meaningful career in multiple dimensions. And it's still been the case for me that the most important part of my life has been my intimate relationship with my wife and my, and my family. So don't be afraid of that or be afraid of it, but don't let that stop you from, from pursuing it.